0: May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. My name is Ryan. I am the small group's pastor here, and I'm really glad that you're with us as we continue our series, Ordinary to Extraordinary. And in this series, uh, we're taking a look at the life of Peter. He was uh, Jesus's right-hand man, the leader of the 12 disciples. And we've seen that Jesus called him from a very ordinary life into something very extraordinary, and he has called us into the same extraordinary life following him. And uh, today, we are gonna look at another key moment in Peter's journey, something that defined his view of God forever. And it was this unbelievable experience, and if we allow that experience to impact us, then our view of God will change forever. Our spiritual life will change forever. And so I'm excited to look at it uh, with you this morning. Y'all may remember this, but uh, back in August, we had a bunch of storms around here that knocked out power uh, for a couple different days. And I remember uh, in one case, we lost power one night for like three or four hours. It was in the evening. And I will say, in those situations, it takes me about 1.8 seconds for my sense of entitlement to show up when that happens and for me to just get totally stressed out. And so those three or four hours felt like an eternity And to make it even more stressful for me, we were leaving the next morning uh, to fly to Denver, and this was the first time we were going to fly with kids. And so we have a two-year-old and uh, five-month-old, though she was two months old at the time. And so we'd never flown with kids, and it was like, oh my gosh, there's a million things to do, and the power's out. And so it was a really stressful thing. I had no idea if I was going to be able to get it all done. But I remember we were upstairs in our house, and and we have kind of this loft area at the top of the stairs, and I I took this little keychain flashlight, and I just set it on the ledge at the top of the stairs, and I turned it on, and the house was like pitch black, uh, and the street was, I mean, all the power was out, so, and it was in the evening, and so, you know, I turned on this flashlight, and it was amazing, this little keychain flashlight like illuminated the whole loft area upstairs, and it was, you know, it wasn't like super bright, but it was enough to see Uh, what we were doing, and it just was a powerful illustration of just how light overcomes darkness in a really powerful way. Just a little bit of light can push away so much darkness. I'm sure you've experienced that if like there's one candle lit in a room or something like that. I mean, it could be a pitch black room and the whole room lights up. And so uh, the story we're going to look at today in Peter's life, it's a story about illumination. You know, Peter had a, uh, a view of Jesus that was incomplete. And there was a whole lot of darkness in his view of God, areas that needed to be illuminated. And we're going to see today that God let Peter experience something that absolutely illuminated the full nature of who Christ is. And if we allow ourselves this morning to fully absorb what happened in this event 2,000 years ago, it will absolutely revolutionize our view of who Christ is and who God is. So let me uh, set up the story for you. Uh, Last week, we talked about this exchange that Jesus had with Peter and the disciples where Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? I mean, he just asked them. And Peter, we saw he kind of got the answer right, but then kind of had a fail right after that. He said, you know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which was true, and that was a great moment. But then Peter kind of threw a fit when he found out that Jesus was going to die, that he was going to have to be crucified and rise from the dead. He, He didn't, that part didn't compute. For Peter. And, and so he was still working through his understanding of who Jesus was. And so this event happened, this conversation. And right after that, in the Gospel of Matthew, we come to the story we're going to look at today. And here's what happened. Jesus uh, wanted to get away from the crowds, find some solitude, and so he went up onto a mountain. And he brought three people with him. He, he brought Peter, and he brought two brothers, James and John. Now, James and John were also disciples And uh, they happened to be Peter's business partners back when they were fishermen before they, you know, all left to follow Christ. So Peter, James, and John, I mean, they knew each other really well. I mean, these guys were friends. And uh, Peter, James, and John formed a little bit of an inner circle with Jesus because we see in the Gospels over and over that there were 12 disciples, so they got to see a lot of things that most people didn't get to see. But within the 12, Peter, James, and John were allowed to see a handful of things that the other nine didn't. I mean, they were really kind of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And the event we're going to look at today is the most dramatic example of something these three got to see that nobody else got to see. I mean, it is an unbelievable experience that they got to go through because they got to see a side of Jesus nobody else got to see. And we get to be transported back there today and see it happen again through Scripture, And it's going to change our lives. If we really go there, if we really allow this event to impact our hearts, it will change our lives. It absolutely will. So the question we're asking today, and this is in your message notes, what does Peter's experience on the mountaintop mean for us? What does Peter's experience on the mountaintop mean for us? Um, I'm going to read actually the whole passage to you right now. It's printed there in your notes. I'm going to read it through once. It's just eight verses. And then we're going to kind of refer back to it as we work through Uh, what it means, and how we can apply it to our lives. So let let me read it to you. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said, Jesus... Said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, here's your first big takeaway. This is number one, your first fill-in. If we lose sight of Jesus' divinity, we lose sight of who he really is. If we lose sight of Jesus' divinity, we lose sight of who he really is. Now, in the passage, it says that Jesus went up on the mountain, he brought Peter, James, and John with him, and he was transfigured. Okay, go ahead and circle that word. It's in verse 2, transfigured. Now, that's a really important word, but if you're anything like me, you've probably never used that word in your life. In fact, I can't think of any time I've ever used that word other than to describe this passage. In fact, this little story is often referred to as the story of Jesus' transfiguration. But that's not a word we really use in normal conversation. So what's going on? What does this word actually mean? What happened with Jesus up on that mountain? Well, Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he wrote it originally in Greek. That's the language that it was uh, written in originally. So transfigured is actually not the word that Matthew chose. That's the word scholars have used to translate the word Matthew chose. The word Matthew chose to describe what happened to Jesus is a Greek word, metamorpho. And as you can imagine, it's where we get the English word metamorphosis. And so Jesus morphed into something else in front of Peter James and John. He allowed them to see his full divine radiance. He allowed them to see that. And look at the words. I want you to just really think about this. The words used to describe Jesus' appearance. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. I mean, can you imagine that? This is Matthew's version of this event. uh, But Mark and Luke, they wrote... Two other gospels, the gospel of Mark and Luke, they also record this event. It's the same event, but there's little details that they include that Matthew doesn't, and vice versa. And it's interesting. In Mark and Luke's version of this event, they say that uh, Jesus' clothes were whiter than anybody could bleach them, and they say that uh, his clothing they were as bright as a flash of lightning, face like the sun, clothes. Like lightning. I mean, the light coming from Jesus must have literally been blinding. I mean, blinding light. This is the majesty of Jesus Christ on full display, unfiltered. And Peter witnessed it with his own eyes. Have you ever thought about Jesus like that? Is that who you picture when you think of Christ? I mean, I'm going to admit I don't a lot. But have you ever spent some time... Reflecting on the majesty of Christ, his power, his divinity. Because here's the thing if you don't, if you never do, if you never really think about Jesus' divinity, you're going to lose sight of who he really is. Eventually, you will lose sight. Now, he was fully human as well, okay? Christ is fully human, fully divine. The human side, we tend not to forget. We can relate to that side, right? He was here in the flesh, we can remember that. And look, I don't have like five easy steps, okay, for you to like fully grasp the divine nature of Christ. I mean, this is like an indescribable reality. But let me ask you this. Are you putting yourself in places where God can work on your heart to help you see more of who he really is? Are you doing that in your life? Uh, For example, when you come here on Sundays, are you allowing yourself to fully step into and engage in worship? with your full heart and block everything else out? Or are you thinking about that conversation that was frustrating in the car on the way over or that the parking lot guy made you park in a space you didn't want to park in or something like the work you've got going on the next week at work or that person who took the last chocolate donut on the way in, whatever it is, are you allowing that stuff to rob you of an opportunity once a week to come here and worship the Lord for who he is and fully step into that. Are you doing that? Because our worship team literally works all week to provide that experience for you. An opportunity to fully just engage and think about how amazing God is. And are you, are you taking advantage of that? Uh, how about reading your Bible? And, and we're like a broken record around here about reading the Bible. I get it. There's a reason Because God took the time to teach us about who he is and what that means for our life. And I'm telling you, if you don't have a regular diet of reading the Bible, your view of who God is and who Christ is is going to drift off of what the Bible actually says. And often, you're not going to be thinking big enough about who God is. Because that's what the Bible narrates is the unbelievable power and majesty and love of God. And if you, if you don't digest that regularly, you're going to miss it. Uh, how about praying? Do you, do you pray regularly in your life and just ask God to cultivate that in you? God, I want to know you more. Please, show me more of yourself. Help me to understand you more. God, here's our prayers. Are you doing that in your life? Uh, and along with that, have you created any space in your life to be silent? Any. 10 minutes, 15 minutes to allow God to speak to you and to hear his voice. It'd be a great place to start. It would be to carve out a little bit of time. Uh, how about this? Here's a suggestion. Maybe this is the simplest one to start with. How do you talk about God? You know, the words that we use, they reflect what we think, but sometimes they can shape what we think also. You choose to start talking about God and talking about Christ Differently with a, a new level of reverence, I guarantee you the way you think about God and the way you feel about Him is going to change. I guarantee you. If you start using words like power and majesty and supremacy and awesomeness and the, all those huge words, you start using those to describe Christ and God, I promise your heart will change. Would you start there? Here's the thing. If you take Jesus's divinity seriously, you'll find yourself submitting to him in your life. You will find that you're reading your Bible. You will find that you're praying. You will find that the priorities in your kid's schedule reflect that. You will find eventually that your financial priorities revolve around God's priorities because you will understand who it really is that you serve. That's why understanding God's divinity, Christ's Divinity is so important. Let's go back to the story. So, as if Jesus' like, shining face and clothing wasn't enough uh, to amaze Peter and James and John, then you get Moses and Elijah showing up. Okay? These are two prophets from the Old Testament from centuries earlier who were like incredibly famous figures uh, by the time of Christ. And they show up and they start having this conversation with Jesus, which that's pretty amazing. And when you read Matthew's account, it's like, well, what are they talking about? You know, they're having this little chat. It's like, well, what's going on? Thankfully, again, Mark and Luke record parallel versions of this account. Luke tells us what they were talking about in his version. He says they're talking about Jesus' departure. In other words, his death and resurrection that were going to come very soon. And Peter heard that conversation. He heard it. So, like, right before this event on the mountain... You know, Peter is like so against this idea of Jesus dying, he's like, this is not going to happen to you, and he gets into this confrontation with Jesus, and now he's on the mountain hearing Moses and Elijah talk to Jesus about the fact that he's going to die, and you know Peter was like, I really should not have said anything, because now he's seeing them talk about it. But you have to imagine, Peter, James, and John, I mean, blinding light, okay, and, and, and you know these incredible figures from the Old Testament—they're there and they're talking, and and it's just this blinding experience. And you know how do you even cope with something like that? And so then Peter speaks up, which I love him—he always is like the first guy to say something in these situations. And he's like, "Oh my gosh, Jesus, this is amazing! And Moses is here, and Elijah—why don't I build y'all three tents?" <laughs> it's, it's like. What? What is going on? Why don't y'all circle uh, in verse 4? It says three shelters. So that's what he says. Hey, I'll build y'all three shelters. It's like, was it raining on the mountain? Like, what is going on? Why is Peter saying this? Well, most scholars would say the reason he said this is because uh, for part of Israel's history in the Old Testament, they wandered around in the desert. And during that time, they carried with them a very ornate uh, tent. Essentially, it was called the tabernacle. It was basically a portable temple that the people of Israel carried around with them from place to place, and God's presence literally dwelled in the tabernacle, and only priests could go in there. And and, I mean, it was a big deal. And so Peter was probably thinking along those lines, like, oh my gosh, like, this is unbelievable. Like, God's presence is here. Moses, Elijah, like, I'm going to build three tiny tabernacles right here, right now. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And it's really funny, when you read Mark and Luke's versions, they both make the comment that Peter said that about the tense because he had no idea what to say. It's like he was afraid and he's like, I don't know what to say. So he throws this out. And I just think that's really interesting because, you know, it came from a good place. Peter was trying to respond in a way that would honor the Lord, but his reaction leads me to point number two, it's okay to not have all the answers, It's okay to not have all the answers. Look, Peter had seen Jesus do unbelievable things. Miracles, uh, you know, people being raised from the dead. I mean, he had heard Jesus teach. Like, he, he had a general idea of who Jesus was. But this experience was something on another level. And he's totally dumbfounded by it. He is seeing God's majesty directly. And he's just kind of fumbling to, to figure out how to respond. And I find that inspiring because what that means for us is that it's okay if we don't have all the answers. We are all in a process of growing closer to God. And, and Peter was going through that. Okay, we're not gonna have all the answers all the time. That's not how it works. It's not like we become Christ followers and we get like a divine download. Here are all the answers. Like, no, we're growing and God is teaching us. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all, that there will be moments in our life when we have no idea what God's doing. And we're like, why? That should not surprise us. That actually should not be a crisis of faith, but instead an opportunity to seek the Lord more and find out what he's doing and and find out more about him. Because when we choose to follow Christ, we actually embark on a journey that lasts our entire life of growing closer to him and learning more and more about him and looking more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit transforms us. It is a lifelong journey. If I could put it in musical terms, it's like a crescendo, okay? Our spiritual life is a lifelong crescendo, a lifelong, the volume is going up and up and up in our spiritual life. We will find ourselves uh, prioritizing God's priorities more, serving more, giving more. It is a process, Okay, it's okay to not have all the answers all the time. That's okay. But it doesn't mean that we don't ask ourselves hard questions or push ourselves forward in seeking the Lord. You know, we don't want to let the fact that it's a process, you know, let us off the hook from actively pursuing our relationship with Christ or finding answers. I'm saying that if we are actively pursuing Christ, we still won't have all the answers. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't mean we don't seek the answers or ask the Lord to change us. Of course we do. But what I love about Peter is we see this process of growing closer to Christ just on full display with Peter. And we just see it. I mean, it, it always kind of baffles me when people have the idea that you have to like be perfect to be a Christian, or like there's all these people in the Bible that are all saintly. How can I live up to that? I mean, have they read about Peter? I mean, Peter is as human as it gets. And we get to see this process of him growing closer to Christ and having some victories and then some really low points and moments where he just doesn't get it. And we're all in that same type of process. So back to the story. Uh, so Moses and Elijah are there, and they're talking with, with Jesus. And then the cloud appears, this cloud uh, surrounds them all in God's voice, tells Peter explicitly what the point of this entire experience is. He says, this is my son whom I love. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And God just says that. Underline that phrase in verse 5. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That whole phrase. Look, that's what Peter, James, and John were supposed to get out of this extraordinary experience, okay? To fully grasp Jesus' divine nature, and to listen to what he says. And those words on that mountain on that day are meant for us just as much as they were meant for Peter, James, and John. They're absolutely meant for us today in the same way because God's word, the Bible, is living and active, okay? What that means is that God supernaturally speaks to us through the Bible when we read it, through his Holy Spirit. It's like the Bible's being written almost for the first time for us when we read it. That's how directly God speaks to us when we read his word. And so when we read those words about God saying, this is my son, listen to him, they're meant for us, just like they were meant for Peter, James, and John. And so this voice comes out of the cloud, God's voice. And Matthew describes how Peter, James, and John were terrified and they fell on the ground. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty strong word, terrified. Go ahead and circle that word, actually. It's in verse 6 terrified. Have you ever thought about Jesus having the potential to terrify you? Ever thought about that? I'll confess, I don't think about that side of him very often, but we need to get real with the fact that when Peter, who knew Jesus very well, saw Jesus's full divine nature on display, he felt fear a very healthy fear. But Jesus doesn't let us remain in that feeling because, number three, Jesus takes us out of our fear of God and into a relationship. Jesus takes us out of our fear of God and into a relationship. Look, they were right to be scared. <laughs> I mean, you read the Bible all over. When people have a direct experience with God or they see even an angel, just a glimpse of who God is, their first reaction is almost always fear because it is an awe-inspiring experience to see God's divine majesty up close. And so they were right to be scared, but Jesus touches them and says, don't be afraid. Underline that phrase in verse seven, don't be afraid. It's, It's like he was saying to to Peter and the others, you know, you're right to have a healthy fear right now. But I don't want our relationship to be defined by that. That's not what I want this to be primarily. You see, in this one scene, we get a glimpse of God's mind-boggling majesty. Okay? Face shining like the sun. Lightning bright clothes. I mean, we're seeing God's divine majesty up close and we we get a sense of the length that God went to to save us because you contrast that image with the image of Jesus bleeding on the cross and it is amazing how far he came for us. It is unbelievable. I mean, Jesus set aside his divine power willfully. He set it down and he said, I'm going to die to pay the penalty for everybody's sin for all of time. Because sin has a cost. You know, we we say that salvation is a free gift, um, that you don't do anything to earn your salvation. And that is absolutely true. But that should not lead you to believe that there is no cost for your salvation. There was a very, very high cost. It's just that you didn't have to pay it. Jesus paid it. He paid the high cost. He paid with his life. Because he loves you. He loves all of us. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross so that there would be no barrier between us and God. And so if you have not put your trust in Christ, I'm telling you, he loves you. And he has died for you. He knows you. And he loves you. And he has extended an offer to you of salvation so that you can know God in this life and have the hope of eternity in heaven. And it's out there. The invitation's out there. It's got your name on it. You just have to accept it. And so, to become a Christ follower, you just have to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and put your trust in Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I trust in your sacrifice on my behalf. Please save me. And the Bible is crystal clear you'll be saved. You don't have to be afraid of God because Jesus has said to all of us, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus has invited us to know him. And if you uh, look on the backside of your message notes, there's actually a sample prayer. If you want to pray the prayer to become a Christian, uh, you can pray that prayer. It's just an example of the type of prayer you pray. It doesn't have to be those exact words. Um, But God loves you. Jesus loves you deeply. And uh, he's just waiting for you to accept that invitation. So, I want to uh, conclude today by fast-forwarding a little bit in Peter's life. So when he was following Jesus, you know, during Jesus' ministry, this was around the year 30 AD, okay? About 30 years later, around the year 60, uh, Peter was, you know, one of the most well-known leaders in the church. The church had spread out from a tiny little group of followers of Jesus in Israel to a Roman Empire-wide phenomenon. And Peter was actually in the city of Rome where Christianity had really begun to flourish. And uh, he wrote a letter. Peter wrote a letter to a church to encourage them and to teach them more about Jesus. And uh, we have a copy of this letter. It's in your New Testament. It's called 2 Peter. And, you know, typically we'll refer to books of the Bible as books, you know, the book of 2 Peter. But it's actually a letter. Peter, it's a real letter that Peter actually wrote. And it's We call it 2 Peter. And and the reason I want to look at this passage is in this letter, Peter, these are his words. He is reflecting back on this experience on the mountaintop and the significance of it. He talks about it 30 years later. And so let let me just read it to you. It's printed there in your notes. It says, this is Peter talking. He says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Look, we couldn't all be on that mountain with Peter that day, okay? But we have the gospels and we have Peter's recollections about that event right here. And it's like Peter's saying, the point of this mountain scene is to cause Jesus to rise in our hearts like the morning star. In fact, that image of the morning star is an image from the Old Testament about the Messiah. So the morning star is Jesus. It's like Jesus is supposed to grow brighter and brighter in our hearts and illuminate more and more about God and his nature throughout our life. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, let my experience on the mountain elevate Christ to the lofty place that he is supposed to have in your heart. Do not let your view of Christ stay partial or small or skewed like mine was. That's what Peter's saying. And this story of this mountaintop experience is intended for us today to understand who God is, who Christ is. This story can serve as a flashlight into the corners of our faith where Christ is not big enough. That's what this is meant to do. And this event changed Peter forever. And it's meant to change us as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us on the cross. Lord, that your son, Jesus Christ, in all of his majesty and his divine nature, Lord, humbled himself because of us. In all of our sin and imperfection, you looked down on us and said, I love them, and I am not going to let the sin be a barrier. And Lord, I pray that this event that happened 2,000 years ago on this mountain would not just be a historical event that we know about in our head, but that it would shape our view of you, that our view of Christ would be rooted in the knowledge that he is your son, all powerful, majestic, supreme, awesome Lord, I pray that those words, those ideas would stay in our heart when we think about you. That we would never domesticate you and bring you down from that, Lord. But that we would remember that. But even in spite of knowing how lofty and amazing you are, Lord, that you're also so accessible and you tell us not to be afraid and that you show us grace. We love you for that, Lord. I pray that the truth of this text from this passage this morning impact all of us in Christ's name amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message For more information about Parkway Fellowship find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash fellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages video content and much more It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play